You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host as always. This week, we're getting right back to the basics because it's something we've got a lot of questions on recently in our settlements team, at Strategic Settlements. And that is just the process of buying a house, the offering acceptance process from when you first find the house, get yourself an offering acceptance or a contract of sale, others will call it, all the way through finance approval and then to settling that property. It's a bit of a process for most people, especially those who haven't done it before, something that they're quite nervous about. But if done right with the right help, something that can be um, really rewarding and, and something you want to do again. And to help us have that conversation is is the number one settlement agent in Perth, in my opinion. She's our conveyancing manager at Strategic Settlements and manages, in my very biased opinion, the best settlement agency in Perth, Brooke O'Connor. Thanks for coming in, mate. Hi, Trent. Thanks for having me. Look, this is something that you have to deal with every day. Clients come to you straight after they've purchased a property. Uh, but before that, they've gone through a bit of a process with a selling agent, haven't they? They have. And I guess what we try to stress to our clients is that we would love to see that contract of sale and have a look at it for them before they sign, just to really manage their expectations of what they're getting out of that purchase price, what they're getting out of that contract. Don't want any misconceptions or any disappointment later down the track. So we'd love to look at it first. And that leads us straight into that first section, right? It's the pre-offer and acceptance timeframe when people are actually just going out there, getting really nervous at a home open, looking to get their contract of sale signed. And the first thing they're doing is having that conversation with the respective selling agent about what the price needs to be and really also sussing out what the acceptable offer terms would be, right? And some of those clauses that you see all the time in an offer and acceptance would be? The termite reports and building reports are, are mostly what we look at the wording of because they don't always give the buyer what they expect to get out of them. It gives them a right to inspect the property with the building inspector. They put a report together. They cover a lot of maintenance items that often aren't covered under that condition. I always propose to a buyer that best way forward if you have miscellaneous items you're not sure of that aren't structural defects, maybe look to use a due diligence clause or something that covers their satisfaction of the property and the reports rather than particular items. Some of the maintenance items that we do see come up really often that I feel is a bigger point of disappointment for buyers is moisture in the walls on the other side of wet areas. That is not covered unless it can be shown to be a plumbing, actual plumbing problem or it's going to cause a structural issue in a load bearing. A wall's about to fall over, it's that bad. Exactly. Which is yeah. never really the case. No, and I think it, a lot of the time I just find that I know that that's not covered, but people think they're getting that in that condition and they should really understand that they're not. And that's something that we had Andrew Booth in last week talking about with regards to the property inspection clause from Inspect WA. And I'm sure you've seen a few of those major defects clauses, they're called. So you, you've spoken about that termite inspection, but also you'd see, I'm sure, most cases... I'm guessing it would be at least 90% of cases, the finance clause. Finance condition is very important, particularly for a buyer. They are going to want to be able to get out of a contract if they can't finance it. Mm. So very important that they have the right information on what they are expecting to be able to fund and what their contribution will look like. They don't want to undersell themselves and get stuck in a contract they can't complete. And that's a really good point because what everyone finds in that contract of sale is that you should note the bank you're going with. And you don't. that's not a legal thing. You don't have to go with a bank that you write down. But it's nice to show the selling agent you're prepared. So writing down a bank that everyone would know. 
the amount that you're financing. And it's really important to note that down because if you put in a number of maybe say 60% when really you're looking for 90% just to make your offer look stronger and you want to get out of that contract, you need to prove that you can't get 60%, let alone 90%. That's a clause that can catch some people sometimes when they're being a little bit mischievous. And then also then to talk about how long they need. And the banks have been notoriously horrible in the last year, I would say. What would be the median time you would see a finance clause go for at the moment? At the moment, it does depend heavily on which bank they're expecting to apply through. If they don't have a lender in mind, they could be looking 28 days even. Best case scenario, I always suggest all buyers look to use a very experienced finance broker or banker just because the timeframes vary all the time. One week, they'll have brand new facilities out, everybody's applying through them, it pushes out their timeframes. So really important to do a little bit of research before they put down that bank. So how often are you seeing finance clauses being extended right now? Because you've written down 28 days or 21 days and the banks just aren't getting their approval through in time. I'd say maybe 30 to 40% of the time. That's a lot. They're needing a bit of extra time. But then on the same page, we're finding some approvals coming through a week to two weeks early. Mm. So the banks are really varying in their timeframes. I would have also thought that the selling agents, because they're seeing this so often right now, are quite responsive to this and they, they, they're not surprised by it and they're allowing a bit more time, especially if it's a good deal. For sure. Although we're still in a seller's market, at the same time as you might understand that your bank will need four weeks, you do want to put in a favourable offer. That being said, it's still misrepresenting the timeframes if you say two weeks and your lender needs four and then you just ask for an, an extension, mm. but you've got the deal now. So. There's a bit of risk there as yeah, well. There yeah, there is, because you, you can lose that it. deal. Yeah, exactly yep. right. All right, so let's say that you've been really successful, you've got that offer and acceptance. You're telling everyone here, we'll get your settlement agent on board before that so that we can help you out with that conversation with understanding what the clauses should be to protect what you're looking to get out of it. So you, then you get to a point where the offer has been accepted. What happens after that? The first thing that they should do if they haven't is appoint a settlement agent Obviously, strategic settlements would be my suggestion. Yeah, of course. Of course. And then their settlement agent will let them know what their timeframes are and lodge that document for stamp duty assessment with the State Revenue Office. It has to be lodged within two months of them being signed. So we mm. lodge it immediately. But I guess the deposit needs to be paid pretty quick as well, right? Yep. That'll, there'll be a time frame on the contract for that. Usually it's five to seven days. If you're buying over a long weekend and you didn't stipulate business days, that time frame is going to be very short. So it's important to immediately nominate your settlement agent. They'll be able to get in touch with you. Make sure that you're going to be in time with your conditions. A non-paid deposit, even one day after the due date, could stop your contract from proceeding. Those trust details are usually on the contract to sale. They're written there. That Sometimes they're stamped in there by the selling agent, but often they're also emailed by the selling agent's admin team to the buyer and the settlement agent. And that's where you'll be able to find the bank details you need to send that money to. I think they probably aren't on the contract often enough because of the world we're in, there's a high risk of details being changed. So I would always suggest to any buyers paying a deposit to call and make sure that they're correct if they're getting them by email. All right, so deposit's been paid, but straight away in that five to seven day period, as you spoke about before, you need to be getting that building inspection done. Because if you don't get it done in time, you automatically waive it. Correct, that's exactly right. And that's what the bigger concern is for our clients is that they adhere to the timeframes on the contract. If your seller is concerned they have a defect, they're not going to make sure that you get your report in time. So a achievable time frame for those reports is firstly very important. That's what we would suggest if we were looking at that contract is don't make it seven days from acceptance. That is not achievable. The market at the moment is really busy. You would hope that you could get a building inspector within 14 days. I think seven would be pushing it. 
But also consider whether you want to get finance first and then get your reports. Well, you can negotiate all these things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. In the meantime, whilst you're arranging a building inspector, the termite inspector getting all that back, you're also having your mortgage broker get those things done. What conversations are we having with the settlement agent or is that something that is really coming in once you have all these conditions sorted? The conversations between your settlement agent and your financier or broker could be about supplying information like the contract of sale, etc., for them to get the application sorted. But the application process is more to do with their ability to pay the loan and what they can do. So it doesn't come into settlement too much at this stage. As soon as the approval has been provided, that's when we straight away kick into gear and we're heavily liaising with the bank and the broker. The deal has gone unconditional at that point in time and that's where the settlement agent on both the buyer, who we're representing today, and the seller's side, they have their own settlement agent. And for everyone's information, the two banks on either side also have their own settlement agents. That's when these guys all start to talk together, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. And that's partly, or I'd say mostly, what a settlement agent's role is, is being one of those parties communicating on behalf of that client to make sure that everybody's doing what they should be doing so that your client is always in a position where they're completing their responsibilities timely. So from that point, when you've got unconditional finance, at some point in time, you're then going into the settlement agent's office, getting your identification verified, signing a whole bunch of disclosure forms. People can get pretty overwhelmed with how many documents need to be signed. Do you want to quickly run through what those actually are? The documents for a purchaser and a seller obviously vary. In this instance, we're speaking more specifically about buyers. So the documents that you're signing off are to do with the property itself, the land title, the transfer of that title into their correct names. Secondly, it's about state revenue and getting that stamp duty rate correct. There's a few documents that they have insisted upon creating in the last few years. So whilst we would have thought we'd have less documents going forward, we in fact have more. Mm. There is more checks and balances when it comes to what's on the title, what the buyer should be aware of, encumbrances on the title, etc. And these are the whole point of disclosure documents, right? Disclosing all these things. And then exactly. people are saying, yes, I recognise these are on there. Yeah. This might be the time where you find out some information you didn't know before. Mm. That's the responsibility of your settlement agent as well, is to make sure that you are fully aware of what's going on before you go to settlement. Um, during that appointment, we would always prefer to meet with our clients so that we can explain those documents thoroughly and do the ID check and have everything signed in that one appointment. Foreign investment side as well, because the state government wants to make sure that if you are a foreigner, you're paying foreign investment tax too. Yeah, there's a tax since January 2019 called the Foreign Buyer Duty. It does encompass anybody that's not a permanent resident citizen or a New Zealand citizen. They will be charged quite a hefty tax. It's 7% of the purchase price on top of the stamp duty that they're already liable for. Yeah, it's massive. Huge, yeah. What about, uh, I also see a lot of strata disclosures these days. Do you want to explain that? So in May, we had a reform for strata and what must be disclosed to people before they purchase. If that isn't provided, the contract could be void or voidable, which is really interesting. It means that everyone, our government is taking it seriously, that there's a lot more to consider when buying a strata. What are these things that you're disclosing now? Is it things like the rates and the Uh, strata fees and all that sort of stuff? So part of it is levies, part of it is bylaws, when the last AGM was. Basic information that buyers really should be aware of before they sign the contract, even before they offer to sign a contract. They need to know their boundaries of their lot, how much of it is that common property, how much is it their actual lot or exclusive use. Many, many things that buying a property you wouldn't understand and particularly a first-time buyer, 
would not understand. Yeah, you might not even be that interested in, but if they're things that you need to know. Correct. Yeah. Your insurance obligations or what's already insured. Mm. Well, talking about insurance, that's one of the things that as a buyer, you need to organize and a settlement agent will hopefully remind you of that because it's generally a condition from the banks these days before they settle is that their buyers have got their home and contents insurance you need to generally be providing that just you know a day before settlement uh interestingly some lenders i found lately don't ask for it and then some do so it's, i'm not sure exactly what their banking policy is but we do remind our clients to get insurance or provide the strata insurance if it's already covered the insurance should be considered and at least looked into a policy being purchased I'd say probably even a week before settlement, just to make sure all your ducks are in a row. And talking about being a week before settlement, final inspection, how does that normally go with you guys these days? I find this part of the process can be very daunting for buyers. They probably haven't seen the house for six weeks. They were in and out probably, FOMO, what's going on in the market, and then they finally got a second and go, oh crap, this is what I'm buying. It's not as shiny, I'd say, on final inspection day as the day they bought it mm. or the day they first did the home open. The lawns have grown a little bit more, there's a few more weeds. But the point of that inspection is that when you purchase that property, you have the assumption that you can see a PowerPoint and it works. Mm. There's a tap faucet and it has hot and cold water. The toilets work. There's things that you shouldn't have to check before you make an offer that you can assume work. This is your opportunity to check those things if you had a cupboard hanging off the kitchen cabinets on the day of your sign-up, it's too bad. But everything else that is an appliance should be in good working order. This is where your team's job can get pretty hairy. A lot of issues come up in the last couple of days where, again, that's just the, the 11th hour where people are haggling over the smallest things and will hold settlement up because of it. Yeah, and we have a understanding of each party's expectations and managing the fact that this is their first home sometimes or it's an investment or it was their pride and joy and they're selling that home and Mm. how the seller feels when someone says this isn't working or that's not happening it can be tied to some emotions especially when they're secondhand properties right they're not going to be perfect yeah absolutely and we like to arm our clients with some information about what to check but also what to understand is not included And if you want to use a leaking tap as a situation where you want to hold up a settlement, I guess people just have to understand the gravity of the item itself. And if that were allowed to hold up settlements, how that would actually affect conveyancing in WA, we would have a lot of problems. There has to be some things that can be sorted later. Well, what you're suggesting is that things like a leaking tap are not things that you can hold settlement up for. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So there's some things that you can in your contract and there's some things that you can't. Your good working order warranty, anything yeah, the that comes up. working, that, things like that. I'd say that there's still some grey areas on it because if it impacts your use of the property to a certain extent, then there is a time where you could maybe get some legal advice on being able to hold it up, i.e. your hot water's not working. Who's going to go and move into a house and live there without hot water? Mm. So that might be a situation. But other than that, you want to have all of the evidence to show you did the inspection and you have an accurate report of what the property was like before or at the final inspection. You're going to settlement with the seller either agreeing to fix those or saying they're not going to. You can't hold up settlement after your grace days, so you get three business days grace. If after that time they still won't fix the issues. As a buyer, you have rights in the small claims tribunal or to get legal advice, perhaps to take that to court, but it cannot be policed at settlement. Mm. Well, let's talk about settlement. Let's say that everything's hunky-dory, inspection was amicable enough. 
it is what we what they said it was. We have a settlement agent for the buyer, which is us. We have a settlement agent for the seller on the other side. The two banks say they're ready to go. We need to make sure we've got the funds from the buyer. That can go into two places, right? Our trust account, which we would advise our buyer a couple of days earlier of how much that needs to be, all fees and whatnot included. Or the bank, if, it, if they're already with that bank, could debit the money out of their account, right? That's right. And I would always recommend to buyers and when they're working with their bankers and brokers to make sure the bank do have authority to debit their account. In my opinion, it is a much safer way of moving your money around. With the world that we're in today, there's plenty of fraudsters and scammers out there. And if you can keep your money in your own account and only your lender can debit it from your account, that mm. is a safer way to that's, proceed. That's a really good good uh, situation. We look, we've, it hasn't happened to us. But we've seen a few people in the industry who uh, their clients have been caught with you know, scammers these days getting really smart about the way they intercept emails. It's absolutely terrifying. For In settlements, it would be the worst call I'd ever want to hear is that one of my clients had somebody scam them during their settlement. Mm. Let's yeah. say, all right, so the money is there. Everyone's ready to go. And generally these days, settlement happens on an online workspace called PEXA. And that essentially is a it's property exchange. You've got the buyer settlement agent, the seller settlement agent, the two bank settlement agents. We're all in a bit of a group chat situation, essentially. We've all signed off to say we're ready. And then what happens? During the course of settlement, we're all entering our own documents, figures, information into the workspace to get it ready for settlement and get it prepped. Part of that is having the document signed by the client in the meeting that I mentioned earlier. The day of settlement is about everybody agreeing to figures and it balancing, everybody agreeing to their documents and preparing them accurately and it being ready to be registered. So the part of the process is just that everybody's doing everything they need to do in a timely manner. It all comes together and everybody signs off. So once that happens, the title from Landgate gets exchanged digitally and so does the money, right? It's a same day settlement, which is great. No more three days waiting for your bank check to clear. No more two weeks waiting for Landgate to register your title. Same day title issue in your name and same day funds in your account for a seller. And that's essentially the settlement. Let's say it doesn't happen on the day though. Let's say that something happens, the money isn't there or the bank's not ready, which happens a lot at the moment. As you mentioned before, the buyer has three days grace. What does that mean? Well, both parties actually have the three days grace, which is, I guess, for unforeseen issues like, for example, the lender last minute hasn't been able to get ready for settlement on time or a document wasn't signed or whatever the case may be, every party has three business days grace. Which means that if it was supposed to happen on a Friday, you've actually got till the next Wednesday before. Before penalty interest could be charged. So providing the contract is all subject to the conditions we expect them to be, a party that is in default and not able to settle on the due date, they've got three business days to rectify that default. If they don't, the other party may be able to charge them penalty interest which is at 9% per annum of the sale price. That's a lot more than the mortgage rate. It is, correct. Yeah, it is. And obviously, the higher that sale price, the more the penalties are. And that's an incentive, really, to make sure that people don't stuff around and they get it done, if not on a settlement day, within that three-day period. Yeah, there's a few conditions in the contract that are there to keep people honest. Generally, the intentions from all parties are to proceed and to complete. But during the course of the process, things can come up and you want to have the ability to get to completion as quickly as possible for parties. Any outstanding disagreements on leaking taps Mm. should be dealt with later. Let's say it keeps going. Let's say that they can't agree on things. One of the parties is not performing on this contract. How far does it go in terms of the penalties adding up before it all just falls apart? 
there would be a point where, as a settlement agent, we would have to suggest our client seek legal advice. A solicitor may issue a default notice on behalf of that client, which would give the other party 10 business days to rectify the default before they could proceed further legally. So a, a settlement agent's role in that is to suggest and recommend to the client that they get that legal advice. But there is a way of that contract either continuing on until settlement can be completed and penalty interest accrues, or parties don't want to complete anymore, they want the contract to be terminated, then they go down the legal path. Mm. That's not something that a settlement agent can do without a mutual agreement. Yeah, and look, that gets to another episode, really. But yeah. uh, So we'll leave it at that. But uh, let's say it all goes through. When can the buyers pick their keys up? The absolute latest that they should expect to get their keys is midday the day following settlement, when the seller is the uh, resident of the property. If the seller isn't living in the property, then they could get them straight away soon as settlement's gone through. There you go. And that is, I guess, the great thing about PEXA these days especially is that it all happens on the same day. Everyone gets to move on with their lives and that includes the seller as well. They get their money and they can move on to the, into the sunset. Brooke O'Connor, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today explaining that process on buying all the way through to settlement. Thanks so much, Trent. Anytime. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!